Let's pray before we look at Scripture. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, I hope you all had a lovely Christmas and New Year and the celebrations that went along with them. And it wasn't all that long ago that I was rushing around the fabulous charity shops of Hexham looking for those last-minute stocking presents for Jenny. And incidentally, there's a fantastic, and it really is fantastic, arts and crafts stall tucked away in the cloister on the, at the Abbey. They came, they saved my bacon on a Friday and Saturday before Christmas. Um, they are really good. And here we are today, already pondering, not long after Christmas, pondering over the baptism of Christ and the Holy Spirit that descends. The baptism of Christ, where John says he is not fit to tie Jesus' sandals. And we've just heard from the reading in Luke how the people were wondering in their hearts if John the Baptist, is he the Messiah? Is he, is he the one? And this is what I want us to do today, is to reflect on what it meant to be there 2,000, more than 2,000 years ago. John puts them right on the point about who Christ was. But what about us? Who do we say that Jesus is? Is he a prophet, a messiah, teacher? Or is he our Lord and Saviour? And this is the point of our focus. Who is Jesus to you, to each of you? And this takes us right into the heart of the readings we've heard. The people are clearly alert to the possible emergence of the Messiah, whatever that might actually mean. But they don't recognise him. And I'm struck by the depth and the clarity of John's foundational belief in knowing that Jesus is the Saviour. He recognises Jesus, of whom Isaiah spoke. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. John the Baptist tells us that Jesus will baptise with the Holy Spirit. Those present did not have the benefit of hindsight. They didn't have the Bible and all the conversations that we can have today. But they were striving to make sense of the Messiah. They were fumbling around in a spiritual darkness, as it were, when it came to Old Testament fulfilment of prophecy as to when the Messiah would appear. And the question for those listening to John all those years ago and to us today is this. Who is Jesus? Through his life and journey to the cross, what has he done for us? And how do we see Jesus in our lives today? And our answers to these questions are really critical because those responses form our understanding of who God is and what God has done and is doing for us. It, it, it affects our view of God and how we relate to him. When we start to talk about the nature of who Jesus is, we're inevitably drawn to those defining moments in his life in Israel. His birth, we've just celebrated, and his baptism, we have heard about this morning in our readings. And I would invite us all to do something for a moment. 
I'd like you to close your eyes and step into the story that we've just heard about. You are standing by the river when all the people were being baptised. Jesus was being baptised too. As he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are standing there next to Jesus. The sunlight is sparkling on the water, dancing before your eyes. The water is cool against the heat of the sun. How do you see Jesus as you stand there watching and listening? Today's readings were taken from the church lectionary. And as I was reflecting on them last week, a memory of a swimming pool kept bubbling to the surface of my mind. Not the kind of baptism swimming pool that you can sometimes see, but the swimming pool kind of swimming pool. And this one was at Queensferry High School, where I attended as a young teenager. Dad had just died, and Mum decided to fly to Singapore to stay with relatives, leaving myself and my sister to carry on as normal. And I have, to, I have to be honest, it was a very, very hard time. To tune out the numbness I was experiencing then, I requested and was granted permission to swim in the school pool every morning for an hour before classes began. And it was wonderful thrashing up and down the pool, mind soothed and feeling calm and relaxed before the start of a boisterous, noisy day. I was actually a lonely child, and so I was thrilled one day when somebody came up to me and said, Richard, would you like to join the inter-school swimming competition with us? It's a relay team. And I thought, that would be fantastic. Yes, I would love that. It appeared that my reputation for training in the pool had become legendary. And that excitement of people connecting with me gave way to consternation. No one had actually seen me swim. And I was a really terrible swimmer. But having some attention was louder than any concerns that I harboured about my inabilities. And come the day, I was the last leg of the relay swim. All the schools got together in this big pool. Our school was a good half length, if not a bit more, ahead of the other teams. I'm the last man for the job. In I died, all skin and bone back then, to cheers and shouts. I was both a mixture of happiness at the energy and the companionship of the whole thing and equally terrified with the terrible secret that I held. I knew I was going to lose. All went quiet as they watched me squander away the lead. We lost magnificently. It was very, very strange. And clambering out of the pool to a stunned silence, I stood in front of the team, shivering, a really sad sight to behold. And I remember closing my eyes, eyes down, waiting for the barrage of criticism to come. Then someone came up to me and gave me a hug. 
and said, well done, it's all right. And during my painfully slow swim, doomed to fail from the outset, they knew of my internal struggle. And that incident reminds me of God's forgiveness in a situation where I knew I was going to fail. And life is like that. We're born into separation from God and we cannot do it on our own. We need the saving grace of Jesus. We're born into chaos, into a chaotic world and meet so many obstacles on the way. And I have to say that your testimony reflects that so wonderfully. That's not the right word, but it, it truly does. And I'm grateful to you for sharing that. When we look at the standards that Jesus sets us, love God with all your hearts and your neighbour as yourself. We know, as I knew when I entered that swimming pool, that we're never going to pass the test or reach the gold standard. We're just not perfect. And we need to stop trying to be perfect. And if we're not going to be able to meet God's standard, what's the point, you might ask? The answer to that is relationship, which is why I was so touched to see that rainbow this morning, that reminder of God's covenant of relationship with us as I drove here this morning. God wants a relationship with you so that you can start living a life knowing that God is right at the centre of it. And so Jesus is born, he's baptised, the Holy Spirit descends to him. And why is that? So that people might experience God as the way God experiences humans. He is with us in our suffering. So who is Jesus to us? Who is this person? Who is this God who does this thing? Jesus, is, Jesus insists on being baptised. He goes on to a ministry of teaching and performs miracles, revealing himself, but gradually, gradually to his disciples. And this brings, I don't know if you remember, Peter eventually to declare that Jesus is indeed the Lord, the Messiah that we heard about in the Isaiah reading. John knew it when he was baptising Jesus. Where are we in the crowd that heard John's words that we heard in today's Gospel reading? What do we see and hear when we read that Jesus is baptised and the Holy Spirit descends upon him? Where are you in the crowd during Christ's ministry on earth? For example, what do you make of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? I'm always moved by his conversation with Mary and Martha when they berate him. Remember he comes and he's too late and Lazarus is already dead. And they berate him. You didn't get here in time. And what does Jesus do? He stands there and he weeps. God showing his humanity in direct relationship, direct experience, weeping as he experiences the pain of our loss. And of course afterwards Lazarus is raised up from the dead. If you had been standing next to Mary and Martha and witnessed Jesus weep before he called up Lazarus to rise, how would you see Jesus? How would you respond to his presence? And what do you think about the stoning of the woman, the one who was caught in adultery? 
in, that's in uh, the John Gospel, after inviting the crowd to stone her, if any are without sin, they disappear. And Jesus turns to the woman and says, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. If you had been in that crowd, how would you view Jesus? And there are many, many examples of Christ's nature and work. Miracles, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, being master of the elements as he calms the sea and, and walks on the water. Rising from the dead, forgiving people from their sins. If you had been walking with him at those times, how would you have viewed him? As John the Baptist did, knowing he was the saviour that Isaiah was prophesying about, or simply a teacher, learned in the laws of Moses. I've always appreciated C.S. Lewis' writings. Um, He wrote a lovely book called Mere Christianity, and some may be familiar with it. I love what he has to say about the nature of Christ. Why was he born? Why was he baptised? Why did he go to the cross? And he says, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of thing Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be God, a lunatic, or the devil himself. That's a powerful statement for any theologian to come up with. Let us not come with any idea about Jesus being a great human teacher. He did not leave that open to us. He did not intend to. Which, of course, is exactly what John the Baptist knew and what Peter ultimately came to understand and experience through the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the, is the Messiah, God with us. And towards the end of Christ's earthly ministry, he turns his face to the cross and an agonizing death. Not my will be done, but yours, he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. This leads me back to a question. Why? Why was Jesus born and baptized? Why perform miracles and teach about the primacy of God's love for us? Why did he die on the cross to die three days later? What did he do for us in those moments? And I'm convinced that had there been another way to bring us back into relationship with him, God would have chosen that other way instead. Why did Jesus be baptised and make his way to the cross, given that we know that Jesus is God's beloved in whom he is well pleased? Is God really that cruel? And the answer to that question will take us into a deeper, richer and individual relationship with God. It, It will ultimately affect how we conduct our daily lives. Imagine for a moment standing at the foot of the cross with Mary and the disciples and imagine being present three days later when the disciples hear that Jesus has risen again. How do you view him in the light of what you would have seen and would have heard? You're standing right there. You're hearing the words. You're hearing the sounds. Did Jesus approach the cross meek as a lamb? to be sacrificed as a punishment that should have been ours? Or did Jesus approach the cross like a knight in shining armour, brandishing a sword of flame, descending into hell and overcoming the power of evil and death? Or do you view Jesus as a moral example, showing, showing us by his life and death how much God loves us, 
in order to inspire us simply to live a more moral life? Or do you see Jesus as sinless, being an offering to God? But the everlasting fault that humanity has caused since the beginning, through Adam and Eve, is such that God demands a sacrifice of infinite value. Jesus as the perfect God-man, making satisfaction for our failings. Max Lucado refers to this as he who set the standard met the standard. God who set the standard came in Jesus to meet it. And these are called atonement theories. What really happens throughout Jesus' life leading to the cross? Who is Jesus? How we view Jesus is influenced by how we view his nature, how we view his life on earth and his death and resurrection. It's your relationship with God through Jesus that is Jesus' main purpose for being born and baptised into this world. Now I thank God each day and praise him for the gift of entering into relationship with me through Jesus' birth, his baptism, his death and resurrection. God knows my fears. He walks with me and weeps with me as he did with Mary and Martha. The good news is that God has not left us. He has not separated himself from us through our faults. The gift of God in Jesus through the Holy Spirit is the forgiveness of sins. He offers companionship in suffering and in death. Freedom in a new life. We are freed by God's grace given to us in order to be made right with God. We can never be perfect. God, God knows that. And the gift of relationship with God is open to all. And for me, the reason for Christ's birth and his baptism and his death and his resurrection is born out of that love and relationship that God yearns, yearns to have with us. And this is what it means to be saved. I cannot view Jesus as anything other than being fully human and fully divine. Begotten, not made. I believe that God who created our universe, having set the standards we cannot meet, came to us to meet those standards on our behalf as a total sacrifice. God is not cruel. He is not capricious. God is love and we are his children. There is no room for fear in love as the confession goes. How can I respond? By praising God, trying to do good wherever I can, as you do in church today, in your interactions with each other, your conversations, the promises that you make for each other, the work that you do, the example that Alex and Eleanor have shown us, taking Christ out into the world because God is love and we are his children and we respond accordingly. I will fail. I will fail at times. But Jesus made that final sacrifice on our behalf. Thinking back on that swimming race, I always knew I was going to fail the team. But my sense of elation when one of the teammates hugged me and said, well done, it's all right, was overwhelming, utterly overwhelming. How much more overwhelmed with joy will we feel 
in knowing that we are saved through God's grace. God joins to us through baptism in Christ. And however we view Jesus, he satisfied our feelings that we can enter into an eternal relationship with our Lord and Creator where heaven begins right here, right now with the promise of life with the Lord of love, of beauty and creation for all eternity. It is ours. Amen.